Creativity without a way of putting it into practice or making it into something, they're just ideas. You know, you have to have a diverse group of people to actually go, that's brilliant, I understand it. Let's challenge that, let's add to it, let's take away and let's put that through and actually make it into something. Today on Dirty Linen, we are heading all the way to the other side of the world, to the UK. We are talking to Ashley Palmer Watts, who has spent a lot of time in Australia as the head chef or executive chef of Dinner by Heston with Heston Blumenthal. Uh, But he is back in the UK now as the UK is reopening again after a bit of a lockdown. Ash, welcome to Dirty Linen. Great to have you on the show. Thank you. How are you? Oh, well, we're in another little lockdown, so I'm fine. I'm fine, Uh, but I wish we weren't. And, um, yeah, I'm just hoping that we can smash this one as we have before and get back out there eating and enjoying restaurants. Tell me what things are like in the UK at the moment. Well, um, yeah, restaurants opened sort of um, probably what two months ago um they reopened outside only um which was difficult for some um others found it a little bit more easy they had gardens and and sort of places outside the restaurant and and especially in london they closed a lot of the roads so that you know they could put tables and chairs out which was quite you know in it was great spirit and and everyone got behind it so um but now restaurants are open inside um, which is good. Still social distancing, masks when you're walking around, et cetera, et cetera. And, but, I mean, it's got off to an absolute flyer. I think the support for the restaurants has been amazing. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to take a long time to get back um, to where it was before. But uh, hopefully, like like you say, hopefully we don't get it back in another lockdown or further restrictions. But so far, so good, fingers crossed. Well, I remember, you know, this time last year, England was reopening. There was the eat out to help out incentives for people to get back to restaurants. It all seemed, you know, like a an exciting summer, but then things went a little bit off the road. Um, I mean, I guess there's a big difference this year in that so much of the population is vaccinated. But how do you think people are feeling about reopening? Is there are people tentative or are they trusting it this time? Well, I think. I think a lot of people, you know, from, from my experience of talking to them is they have to open and they have to get back and they just hope that they can trade at a level that is going to sort of allow them to claw back um, some of the huge losses um, that, that, that were had. And, I mean, our biggest problem here is is staff. Um, every single person I know in a restaurant needs staff and they are so desperate, front and back, Um we're slightly different here um, in the sense of when when we locked down again, you know, of course, our borders were open and we had a lot of travel uh, through Europe. So hence, we got ourselves in a bit of a mess here, um, whereas you guys just shut everything down, which I think is, you know, absolutely brilliant that you can do that. And so now everyone, a lot of the Europeans, the French, um, Italians, Spanish, um, Polish, you know, Eastern Europeans all went home because obviously living here is so expensive, especially in London. Um, and then now with Brexit, they've changed the visa law. So now you need to sponsor in the same sort of manner as you do in Australia. 
So, of course, it's not that easy to get people back into the country. And I think we're probably about 200,000 people short at the moment in, in hospitality. Wow. I mean, that is amazing. And you would well know from your time in Australia that we rely heavily on people from overseas to staff restaurants. Um, and yeah, we're real. Everyone here is struggling for staff as well for, well, some, some of the same reasons. People weren't assisted through the pandemic in Australia and a lot of them went back to their countries of origin. And yeah, they can't get back here either, not because of Brexit, but because Australia's borders are still closed and it's hard for a lot of citizens to get back, let alone people who don't have Australian passports. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's so massive to think of the UK going through Brexit at the same time as going through a pandemic. Well, I think, you know, that that was the, the reality of that has been sort of bumbling along, you know, with price rises, um, shipping difficulties, you know, trade um, agreements and so on and so forth. I mean, I remember a year and probably a year and a half ago, it was, there was a lot of fuss about being able to fly, you know, because they didn't have an agreement in place for the airlines to, you know, land in these other countries. And, you know, it just wasn't really well thought through. But when, when you put it up against, you know, the, the, the sort of catastrophe of, 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 the, of COVID, it, it kind of got overshadowed really. And now it, the reality is starting to bite in. And I think, you know, that you've got that very old fashioned view that, you know, we want to give jobs to all the English people and, you know, and, and, and not anyone else first. And, you know, and the reality is that the world isn't like this anymore. You know, it's a, it's a multicultural world and hospitality is made up of all brilliant people from all over the world. And now when, when restaurants and bars and pubs and cafes can actually, you know, literally open the doors and try and regain some of that business, they're, they're having to limit themselves because they're just so short-staffed, you know? It's... Oh, God. Hold on, sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Man. How do I shut that up? There we sorry about that. I didn't turn okay. that one off. That's all right. Um... Uh, um... I mean, there are so many similar kinds of conversations being had here, Ash, about staffing and 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 people who I suppose aren't as uh, involved in the industry also ha sometimes have that view. Well, just train up locals, just get locals in the business. Aren't there people unemployed? They've got to. Why don't they work in restaurants? And of course, you know, to some degree, like there are people grabbing, you know, young Aussie kids and training them up and. Um, getting getting them in and, and I suppose accommodating that in various ways, whether it's simplifying ordering systems or restricting menus. Um, I mean, are, are those the kinds of things that people are talking about there? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of what we found here is that a lot of people, I mean, our government have been pretty good um, in terms of supporting uh, the staff and, you know, with the furlough scheme and things like that, been a little bit more tricky for the actual businesses themselves. And it's almost they've had to fend for themselves with their landlords and manage costs, et cetera, that way. But I think a lot of people now have really, I mean, we've been in lockdown a long time over the two periods. And I think a lot of people have sort of realized that actually they don't want to work so many hours and they don't want to work on the weekends and they don't want to miss out on what everyday life is now like because a lot of people in hospitality have only experienced normal 
working life as a, as a, as a child, really, pre-work. Because if you went straight into hospitality, that's all you know. So I think a lot of people have said, well, actually, I'm not coming back and I'm going to retrain as this or I'm going to try and start my own little business over here. So it's it's twofold, really. It's it's lost a bit of shine off the industry itself um, and the prospects. But then on the flip side, I think from a customer point of view, I, I think that people have never been more receptive and appreciative of what the experience of going out, whether it's at a level of, you know, $500 a head or, or $15 a head, you know, or a cup of coffee or a, or a pint of beer in a beer garden. Mm. They're so much more appreciative now than, than before. It must be so frustrating for businesses to not be able to meet that demand and desire to go out to eat and drink uh, if they don't have the staff to service service it. Yeah, hundred percent. And 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 then the other thing is that because we were just opening up in this country, no staff are moving from their current positions. So if you if you moved now and then we went back into another lockdown, the support you might get might not be there because you've just changed jobs and. You know, you, you haven't been in employment for very long. So I think it will start to open up a little bit more as restaurants are now, you know, sort of surviving and, and opening up. People will start to move. It will start to generate some movement. And hopefully we can we can sort of bring some people back to, to the country um, from abroad. Because, I mean, they're still, I mean, they're in a far worse position uh, than we are here. Uh, France and Italy and Spain, it's well, it's pretty bad. So, yeah, you think there'd be a lot of people who had worked in the UK who would love to come back if they could? I think so because, I mean, you know, COVID is just decimating businesses and restaurants. They're closing left, right and centre. Even here, you know, they, they predict that sort of come January, February time when it is the, this is always the tough trading months here because it's so cold. It's always really miserable. It's after Christmas. You know, January, February, March is, is, is a tough period. You know, that's, that's when I think we're going to lose quite a few more uh, successful restaurants, really. Mm, it's really sad. Um, so, I mean, interestingly, you're not involved in restaurants day to day at the moment after so many years of being uh, at the helm of some of, you know, the world's best known restaurants what's tell me about what you've been doing since dinner by heston closed and you and you left well, the up group yeah so um i left to open my own restaurant and then um covid came along so that kind of has has kind of put a, a year and a half almost in between um leaving and and almost picking back up again um so i'm working on my own place uh, which is really really exciting which is what i left to do um, and I had some other um, sort of avenues I wanted to go down as well. So um, the one we've just launched at the moment is a, a coffee company called Artisan Coffee Co., um, which is sort of coffee for everyone at home. And, you know, being fortunate enough to spend a lot of time uh, in Melbourne where, where, you know, coffee is just, for me, it's, it's the best I've ever experienced in the world. I've never experienced anything so far in front of anywhere else um, that certainly that I've experienced on my travels. So I've sort of, I've had a great interest in coffee for a long, long time, but actually it, it ties back into our restaurant world where 
you know, when a sommelier comes to the table with a massive wine list and they, they put it down. And, and for a lot of people, that's a very intimidating process. You know, the barriers go up and they think, oh, I don't know enough about wine. And, I, I you know, I feel stupid. I feel out of my comfort zone and I don't know what I'm talking about. And over here, it's very much like that on the whole. You know, you've got the top end um, roasteries and, and sort of pioneers in the coffee business. But actually, the people at home get very intimidated by uh, sort of expert um, communication and terms and terminology that put those barriers up. So I thought it was a great opportunity to actually talk to people in a way where they can relate to it about taste and flavor and character and how things are going to be perceived and how to taste and use my sort of upbringing in Bray with Heston to sort of bring a different view to it and communicate in a different way, but actually bring really characterful coffee um, to people at home. If they buy ground coffee from the supermarket or it's pods or it's whole bean or it's for their mocha pot, you know, we will finely tune those blends um, for those for those brew types. So um, be working really hard on that. Um, and what's the other one I've been doing? Oh, the other um, business we've set up is a one called LeBlanc, which is a cycling and gastronomy um, events company. And this actually came about from the Margaret River um, Gourmet Escape um, events that we uh, we used to go to over there. And I used to speak to a guy who used to be one of the organisers, and I told him that I brought my bike, and he just couldn't believe it, that I brought all my, my bike all the way to Western Australia. And he said, do you know what? I used to be a pro rider. And I said, really? I didn't know that. And he said, do you know what? We should do something about cycling and gastronomy. And so we set up LeBlanc where it's um, it's Justin, myself as the culinary director, and then we have a, an ex-pro cyclist called Sean Yates, um, who is – he's pretty much been the director sportif and training uh, team um, post his pro riding career for everyone from Bradley Wiggins, Team Sky, British Cycling. So between the three of us, we pull in great riders, legendary um, – and great chefs, and we have like these great weekends of brilliant riding, riding with your peers, your heroes, um, great food and wine, stories from the saddle, from the kitchen, and just have a great time, really. So um, we've just had our first small event, and then we've got uh, we've got two events this year: one in Champagne with Eddie Merckx and uh, Raymond Blanc, and then our second one in the Isle of Wight with. Um, Sir Bradley Wiggins and Claude Bosey. Oh my God, that sounds so fun. And so yeah. do you, when you say you're culinary director, obviously you're partnering up with some great chefs along the way. Is that, I mean, is the food in local restaurants or is it like cooking in a field? I mean, what's, what's the food side of it? Um, they all vary. I mean, the one in Champagne, we've taken over a hotel, um, beautiful hotel. And then Isle of Wight, again, we've taken over a, another hotel on the south of the island. Um, so we use the kitchens there and outside dining. And then actually one I forgot that I'm actually doing at the end of July is up, up in Perthshire. And it's um, Sir Chris Hoy and myself. And that's a really intimate one of 20 guests um, for the weekend. We've taken over this stunning house beautiful sort of terrace in the valleys in Perthshire. 
local produce we we also do sort of a, a time and a place dinner on the friday night so we bring in local chefs uh, a combination of to one to show their their restaurants off but also to show the local ingredients to the area and stuff and then the saturday is when it's the big seven course dinner um either in the hotel the house or the or or, or outside could be anywhere wow i mean i love the sound of it and but i think what I love most about it is that it makes me feel hopeful about travel again and that actually it is going to be possible to have amazing travel and food experiences at some point. We feel very locked yeah. in Australia at the moment, I have to say. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's been a long time. I mean, we've, we've been moving events for the last, you know, 15 months. And, um, but the, 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 the sort of engagement and the hunger for these type of experiences, and I think that's – that you know we have to look at the positive of, of obviously a really terrible time and that is that people want they, they see the value in the experience not just the material things anymore and i think the the experience side of going to your favorite restaurant or you know sitting down with friends that you haven't seen for a long time and you know you tell someone you can't see people or you can't touch them or hug them or you know you can't go out walking with them there's nothing more you want to do than do those things so you know, there's a there's there is a big positive here, and I think it's a it is a good thing for restaurants in the sense that that appreciation. You know, it, it was all too easy before, and people, you know, a lot a lot of people wouldn't wouldn't appreciate what goes in to pulling off those experiences for people. As simple as a cafe, you know, people work so hard to do that to to give people great service, great food in whatever kind of level of experience that is but now i think people you know they they're going to have a greater appreciation and that can only help with the longer term view of of actually career choice because the appreciation is there then you know you feel valued as well yeah well i i mean i really hope it does have that follow through i mean it's certainly it's something i've been thinking a lot about here because if you value an experience well, let me start again. I think restaurant meals in Australia, at least, have been very undervalued. Like people should be paying more for those experiences. Um, and if they value them more, perhaps they will be willing to. I don't know. What do, What do you think about that? Do you think that sort of price parity is, has been easier to find in Europe? Yeah, I mean, well, I, I would say here, I mean, the, the, the cost is going up you know, by the week, because there's obviously the the the, the, the post-COVID cost to every business, but there's also, you know, the, the cost of actually sort of making sure that you've got enough time and you've got enough people and you're doing the right things, that actually people are going to have to pay more for what they experienced before. But I think it's even more so now that you've really got to deliver whatever level that is, it's got to be, you know, best in class almost where you know it's it's it, it it does tend to feel a little bit undervalued in yeah. in some areas where people you know will have you know will will say oh god that's expensive and you're like well how much do you think it costs to actually produce that you know and you know it's only a good thing awareness with the right communication um will 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 do that for sure but i mean i think you know uh, certainly from my my experience in Australia is, 
you know, people just love going out and it, the, the vibe is just so, you know, that will come back for sure. I mean, no doubt. I mean, you know, keeping everyone at home in Melbourne is going to be like unlocking sort of caged animals, you know, from not going out for a while, isn't it? It's, it's just part of the lifestyle, isn't it? You guys live outside, you eat and drink outside. It's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's the way of life there. Yeah, definitely. We certainly do love our restaurants. So Ash, did you dodge a bullet by not having your restaurant open before March 2020? Uh, definitely. Um, but I have, you know, I mean, it's it's been really, you know, it's like, it's like everyone, you have you have good days and you have bad days. And, and on the bad days, you, you know, I sit in my summer house office and, and I'm working on some great projects and I, but I really miss the, and it sounds really strange. I miss being so in it, you know, because a restaurant is a way of life. It's not, it's not a job, you know, and, and I felt some days you feel really guilty that you're out of it and you're not experiencing it, you know, as everyone is going through it, but certainly I've been trying to help my friends and sort of people I've worked with over the years to, you know, just for them to rant at me on the phone, you know, just, <laughs> I can take a slightly different view because I'm not in it myself. Um, and, tr and try and think of a way and, and try and help sort of help them find their answers themselves to, to something that we might not have thought of before, you know, we've we had to be really creative in this country uh, to get through this because, you know, we've been in lockdown for months and months and months and, uh, then we were out and then we were back in it and literally we'd just come out of it. So, you know, it's, uh, it's been difficult, but uh, yeah, I'm glad. I mean, if I'd opened a restaurant now, I, you know, I, I'm not sure it would be that open because I wouldn't have generated the funds. I probably wouldn't have qualified for the, for the government support either. Um, so yeah, incredibly lucky on that, on that front. And you mentioned that, you know, a lot of people have seen a, a, a taste of civilian life. They've seen their families, you know, for the first time in daylight. Um, and perhaps some people have got, have got a taste for that more balanced lifestyle. What about yourself? I mean, you've obviously spent heaps of time away from your family back and forth to Australia. Um, wh what do you think about, you know, hanging on to some of that work-life balance? Yeah, I think it, it I mean, it's it's i think it's made everyone especially myself look at how how when i do open my restaurants how i can incorporate some of that into um you know taking a clean view at things and having been out of it for you know definitely i won't open anything this year so we're looking at spring next year so you know two years out gives you a really fresh approach and you can sort of build um how we may approach things differently, set things up differently that actually allow us to, to be able to take a new sort of generation forward. Um, you know, some, some things are going to work and some things aren't and, and we'll need adjusting. But I think unless you push the, the, the thinking behind it, um, then you're never going to really change much, if that makes sense. So, you know, it's, it's but it's what i do and unfortunately restaurants are open at night and <laughs> it's when people want to go out and it's saturday and friday it it, it it's the choice we all make you know it's ne yeah. that will never change weekends are the are the popular ones so what i mean what kind of brainwaves have you had about you know what kinds of, where do you think you can make changes 
Well, I think it's about structuring it so that you, I mean, definitely over here, over the past, I'd say past five years, even, I mean, we, I don't live in a city. I live on the edge of a small town and hopefully my, the restaurant I'm going to open is not in London. It's going to be out in the country. And, you know, people eat a lot earlier here, you know, and the, the health benefits of not eating so late, you know, because we're not in a big city, there aren't bars open and things like that. And so just, just sort of actually restructuring it and propositioning how you can open a little bit earlier, close a little bit earlier, but be really efficient with people's time. Um, I think is key. Um, and, and just making sure that you, the business model works open and closed periods with, with, with the amount of, of staff, giving them the right amount of time off and so that they feel they've got a life. And I think if I could have worked a four day week, I mean, that would be absolutely incredible. Um, but I know, you know, from from non-restaurant people here, you know, people that live in my street, you know, they'll only be traveling to London two days a week now, three maximum instead of five. So everyone's going through this massive work-life balance. And at the beginning of of COVID and throughout COVID, everyone's like, oh, you know, the offices are now closed. We're going to get rid of our office. But, the, you know, that's you know, that's not going to happen so much. It'll be a downsizing. It'll be a partial working week in the office. Um, I think I read yesterday, Apple are demanding that uh, all staff are back in September working in the office, minimum three to four days a week. So, you know, that interaction is really, really important from a creative point of view as well. So, you know, it's it's just a massive sort of moving feast of of adjustment, really. Yeah, well, I mean, it is an opportunity to make to really rethink everything, as you say. Um, I mean, when you when you think about the restaurant that you're going to open, Ash, like how, I mean, what aspects of your time with Heston will you take into it? What will what will be different? Um, well, all of it, really. I mean, I I I, I sort of I've done a lot of, of talking about the coffee, and whilst I've, I'm not from the world of coffee, I've used my 20 years upbringing of looking at things in a different way and just not not for the sake of it but actually just looking at it analyzing it and saying well why do we do it like that why is it done like that and can we do it like this what would happen if we do this and then sort of follow that through so i think restaurant wise i mean it's 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 quite a diverse um i can't really say much about it but it's it's, it's quite a diverse collection of um experiences in one place um but i'm not going to be opening um something that's aiming for three michelin stars and uh liquid nitrogen and dry ice i'm uh, that that's not probably the food that i'm going to be cooking you know at, at my next place but it will take shape you know i have a, I have a good idea of what it is but it's it's I don't know, until you really start getting it under the skin of it and it starts gaining momentum, then it's it's just, I want people to come and have an experience that they can come and have eight times a year, not not be a bucket list restaurant. That's, that's really important for me. And I think there's always a way of bringing um, aspirational things into sort of dining that you can come and experience eight times a year you know might be might be more for some people might be less but um yeah i just want it to be really comfortable and 
just friendly, comfortable, casual, but not, but actually the execution and the vibe of, of the place will be exceptional. Ash, obviously, you know, working with Heston was, uh, it took, you know, it was, you were with Heston for a lot of, a lot of years. Um, and it must have been such an intense, creative whirlwind. Um, can you, Tell us what it was like to work with Heston Blumenthal. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I had, I, I worked with him for over 20 years and, you know, we we had the best 20 years, uh, you know, of my life really. Um, and, you know, from the day I started, there were five in the kitchen, um, you know, when I when I wrote to him for a job, I actually went for a stage first, and then I wrote to him and said, "Look, this is the only place I want to work." You know, I came home one night from the restaurant I was working at, and my my dad had left a, a note on my bed saying, "Check the." It's when we had answer phones at home. Check the answer phone. Um, Heston's left you a message, and so that's when the journey started. And um, so. You know, started and 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 this guy was just crusading his way in in the food scene in this country. And at that time, literally, if you were right at the top of like the foodie niche market, you might have heard of Heston, but no one else had. And you say, "Oh, I'm going to work at the Fat Duck." Well, I've never heard of it. It was for a bloke called Heston. Never heard of him. You know, and it was those days and. We started off. We had a la carte and and uh, and, a, and a lunch menu, and then renovated in two thousand one. Um, came back with a, a tasting menu, and that's when it really all started to kick off with working with different scientists and colleges, universities, libraries, you know, brain surgeons, psychologists, artists, musicians. You know, the whole the whole thing. I mean, it was just when I look back on it. it 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 was the most incredible 20 years and you know like i was i used to say to my my team at dinner i think we spent our time looking back in history and reading about people that were doing things that were worthy of writing about back you know five six hundred years ago and i said you know what we'll, we'll be reading well we won't be but people will still be reading about heston in 500 years you know and that's how important the the sort of you know the moments of pushing boundaries and, and breaking those breaking boundaries it, it's really slowed down because there aren't the boundaries to break so much anymore um there's only so many you can make in the same way that you can only make a car go so fast or accelerate so fast you can't there's certain things you just you get to a window or, or a ceiling and and those boundaries sort of and, and and also food, uh, the interest in food and and the trend of of how people cook and stuff changes as well. But I mean, it was just it was incredible. We travelled the world, we worked and met with the most incredible people. Um, it was incredibly intense, so difficult um, at times. But you know, it, I wouldn't change it for anything, to be honest. And I think it's given me a really sort of a different view about how to go about things and and I've completely enjoyed sort of applying that 20 years knowledge and some of it is not knowledge it's just the actual 
confidence to say, well, actually, well, why are we doing it like that? Why do you do it like that? That doesn't make sense. Let's find out why. And let's find out if we change this, this and this, what happens and bring that innovation in and not be afraid to try, you know, and I think that's a really, really important attribute that I think, you know, I mean, there were times where you would, you would, you would do stuff. And, you know, when we got the third star, for example, in, in Bray, I remember Heston phoning up and saying, yes, it's, he was away at the time in Spain and he, he got the confirmation from the Michelin guide and he phoned up and answered the phone and he said, yeah, we've got it, but we need to get better. And and that <laughs> sums it up really. Like, <laughs> you know, you, you get to the finish line and then the finish line moves and you're just like, right. Yeah, but we've got to do it again and we've got to be better and we've got to be faster. And there must be a way we can do this. So it's that just relentless, relentless sort of, um, pursuit to make things better was yeah just incredible really wow it's it's amazing i mean i've chatted to heston a few times and um obviously you know i don't know him anywhere near as well as you do but i he's his mind seems to go in a thousand directions at once um it was sort of hard to grasp his train of thought at times your um you seem much more, I guess, direct and considered and perhaps, um, I don't know, like that you can hold on to an idea and, and be more methodical. I mean, is that a reasonable characterization of the way that you guys work together? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it is important to say as well that it, it I mean, it, everyone talks about the team, but, you know, it really was about the team. It was about understanding that a diversity in a team you know to give you an to give you an, an example we worked with um a sports performance coach and within our teams because it it actually highlighted the the benefits of having a highly diverse very flexible team that bounced off each other rather than a group of like-minded similar people you know because one of the old school approaches with with kitchens and restaurants is right why can't this person just be like me and do it like me you know that's that's built into our that's built into the to the industry really but actually you 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 want diversity but when you've got brilliant people and if i look back at say between let's say 2002 and 2008 the 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 collective between myself, um, James Petrie, the pastry chef at the time, Kyle Cronorton, who's now got his three-star in, in Napa Valley. Um, uh, oh, forget the name. Um, it'll come to me. Um, uh, Chris Young used to be in our lab, who went on to do the um, modernist cuisine. And um, he's set up a couple of very innovative um, products post his time at the Duck. And then there's Lars Williams, who's Empirical Spirits. He was in the lab at the time. You know, we have people like Josh Nyland come through the lab. You know, he spent three months with us. And, you know, when you've got this constant sort of evolution of brilliant people coming through, when that all joins together with the right 
let's say, structure, the, the methodicalness, but actually creativity without a way of putting it into practice or making it into something is just, they're just ideas. You know, you have to have a diverse group of people to actually go, that's brilliant, I understand it. Let's challenge that, let's add to it, let's take away and let's put that through and may actually make it into something. So, you know, Bray was, and still is, a, a collection of just incredibly talented people at different times in their career. You know, some were older, some were younger, but it all accumulated in a thing that was a greater sum of its parts, I, I believe. Mm, I mean, it makes me think of, you know, an exceptional sporting team. We just have those those seasons that just gel, like it is just so much greater than the sum of its parts. It's that, it's that ineffable magic like um but it's really interesting well yeah you worked with a sports psychologist it's so interesting to think about all the strategy that must go into creating a team like that deliberately I mean what what kinds of things will you take forward from that when you hire your own teams I mean you know it's 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 been something that that I've I've sort of incorporated for for many years is just having that diversity and character as well. Um, you, you, you're obviously, you don't know fully until people actually start working, how they're going to pan out. But, but I think it's just having people with the right, um, the right ethos and the right attitude towards wanting to give someone or make something better. Um, being open to, you know, constructive criticism or being the, the, their own, being their own best critic or their own worst critic. You know, if you can, if you can look at your own work and go, Joe, I could have done that better. That's what I want. You know, that's the kind of, that kind of pursuit of, of excellence in everything we do, but also just be a nice person. You know, we, we're not, you don't need to be, you know, the old school, mentality in a kitchen you know we don't need to you know feel like we're suffering all the time we, we need to think outside the box and you know be smart work smart but but just be nice as well <laughs> yeah that doesn't sound too radical and yet in a way it is quite radical yeah i mean you know it's a very pressured environment i mean you know when you explain to people about about restaurants you you look at if you look at a football i can't remember how long an aussie rules football match goes on for but is it is it 90 minutes or something well it's quarters 25 minute quarters okay so you know you've you've got that intense sort of um those quarters of intense uh, work rate you know which is which is our service but of course the the services go on twice a day pretty much for four hours at a time and then you've got your preparation which is is like your training so the time in which people are on their a game in a restaurant in a kitchen or on the floor you know is is a huge portion of their work time you know as opposed to other high performing things like i don't know formula one or football match or or a tennis player you know it that that concentration and that that sort of attention to detail takes massive, massive concentration. Um, so, you know, it's about working smart, really. But, I mean, and you've got to enjoy it. I just want people that want to do it for the right reason and have a good time at the same time. And that's been our ethos at the Duck for, for years and years. 
Um, it, you know, Ash, it also makes me think about um, every now and again on your Instagram, a, a post with your son pops up who's um, uh, who's studying ballet. Um, I mean, that's another another arena which is really intense. There's these, um, you know, performances, but a lot of work that goes into making those performances. Can you tell us about him and about how you sort of look at the, that that very different field of dance in relation to what you do? Yeah, so he um, he started doing ballet when he was four, and literally we just we just let our kids try anything that they want to try, to be honest, and just just find their way and we're not um we're not like pushy parents in that way where you know it's it's a case of you know you must do this you must do that if you don't want to do it don't do it but he kind of i remember emma coming back um when he was probably about six going do you know what he's actually pretty good and then you know about a year later it's like do you know what he's he's actually he's actually got something here but we need to move him into a different class because he's dancing with loads of girls and he's the only boy so he's not a focal point moved him was doing really really well and um then again sort of we need to move him to another school moved him to school the lady came out and she just said oh my god i've not had a boy come along like this for a long 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 time Wow. He's got it. Oh you should God. try him out. You should try him out for the Royal Ballet. And Emma called me and I was like, really? I was like, well, okay, well, you know, so we, Emma took him up to the Royal Ballet auditions, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, got into the junior associates. So he's been training up there for the last uh, year and a half, two years on a Saturday at the Royal Ballet. It's just off the Royal Opera House across the street. And, um, been doing really well and then he has his local school he has another coach in london and then when lockdown happened um everything went online which you would think oh this is going to be an absolute nightmare but he actually danced probably two and a half three hours a day uh doing the most incredible classes with principal dancers from the royal ballet from from tring from all over and the the kind of it was brilliant to see another industry that actually said do you know what? We're all in this. We're going to open ourselves up. It's, you know, it's five pounds for a masterclass lesson for two hours with like the most incredible principal dancers and, and these special sort of focused classes as well as his own sort of junior associate classes. And he, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a dancer of the world. Let's, let's put it that way. I am the, the worst dancer, but I just saw his, strength and his commitment and his work ethic was was brilliant and then yeah he tried out for uh tring uh which is not far from us about an hour from where we live which is a dance a very very good dance school um elmhurst which is connected to the royal ballet but in birmingham and then the royal ballet school which is white lodge in richmond park which is from the billy elliott um film where he goes down to do that audition uh-huh. And he yeah, he got he got through to the finals and got into all of them. And um, Oh my gosh. <laughs> so he chose he's chosen White Lodge. They've taken twelve boys this year from nine hundred applicants and he starts in September. Um And how old is he? He's eleven. Oh my god. You must be so yeah. proud. What an amazing 
achievement and what, yeah, just so incredible to think about what might be ahead for him. Yeah, and it's the, the nice thing is, you know, he's not, he doesn't enjoy the academic side of school terribly. He's he's more on the creative side and, you know, it's 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 quite sad to see sometimes the lack of creativity and how that's harnessed at school. You know, it's all about numbers and it's about measurement and it's about, you know, this exam and that exam where, you know, to see someone so young be able to, to, to have that work ethic for me is 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 the really important one. And, and and like I say, we we don't push him. If he doesn't want to do it, he doesn't want to do it. And I'm not going to push him to do it. But his interest, and he absolutely loves to dance. It just alters his, you know, his mood, everything when he dances. So, you know, he's got a good chance. Um, he's, but, you know, like I say to him, the work, the work really starts when you start going to school and you're working – you know, you've got to do your schoolwork, but you're probably dancing and training for, you know, four or five hours a day. But he's like, Dad, I will love it. Don't you worry. <laughs> Brilliant. That's so great. Um, Ash, what do you what do you cook at home for the family? Um, a lot of barbecuing. Um, so big green egg. Um, just really, my kids like really simple, bold things. Lots of garlic. Um, sort of, you know, lots of grilled vegetables, um, roast chicken. I mean, winter goes on here forever. So for five, six months of the year, it's quite hearty cooking on the weekends. Um, you know, sort of shoulder of lamb and roast potatoes and, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, and, yeah, just a mixture of just normal home food, really, you know. Mm. Love it. Um, well, it's been so incredible to have the opportunity to catch up with you. I really hope that the reopening of um, England and the and the whole of UK and Europe in general just, I just hope it hope it goes well. I hope it sticks. Um, and yeah, I hope that the coffee and the cycling all goes brilliantly. And I can't wait to learn more about the restaurant. But thanks so much for your time today. No worries. Well, good luck with uh, reopening over there and um, hopefully it won't be too long. Yep, I hope so too. Fingers crossed. Thank you. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.